Papcast, where there is only positivity. One of my now. fetishes is for people to hear me chewing. So, oh my god, start recording now. <laughs> what a fantastic fetish to have for somebody who like dabbles in podcasting as often as you do. It's no coincidence, clearly. <laughs> um, I was like, I think you guys would like Ice Cream Man if you had read more of it. If you didn't just have a full ban <clears throat> on horror comics. Yeah you know a top three or four image subscription book in our store mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. outsells oh walking God. dead now <laughs> yeah man that big we had a real walking dead subscriber dip when they restarted <laughs> it and started doing it in color i was i was surprised that we only had seven people come back Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast. It's episode 210. I bet. Is it? I don't know. Is I walk, it? I, I think it's episode 211. I think you're right. I think if you're you right. if you get a call from 211, it's very likely spam. This is 211. Spam this is 211. Modesto. Spam. 211. Modesto, Texas. Get your spurs on, everyone. We're gonna kick this pig and talk about comics it's a comic book show we read comics every week as many of the ones that we can fit in in that given week some of the ones from next week some of the ones from last week talk about ones we do like talk about ones we didn't like as much we're here to absorb the information so that you can feel like you're in a comic shop if you can't go to a comic shop that's the goal right that's the goal share that's, the word share the gospel that's all i'm here for <laughs> you and don't to, know and to talk about how cool your hot uncle is I've never seen a, a head of hair like your uncle's. It's I, luscious. I never thought of it. Um, but, you know, when I was growing up, he he had this crazy hairline. I think it might be a wig that you're into, Jeff. So uh, take that and touch yourself for it. I could be a wig. The man won a lot of John Stamos lookalike competitions for a man who's wearing a wig. I don't think that you become that entrenched in a career choice of, you know, appearing as John Stamos as, as your uncle did without, you, I mean, if that's a lack, that's deep dedication to the wig is my point. I don't know if you knew that uh, when he was at the height of his John Stamos impersonation game, he mm-hmm. built, he, he was billed as John Stamos. Oh. And it was primarily in uh, like adults kind of situations. So he doesn't talk about it much anymore. Trumbo. I think we should talk about comics Civilance. here. Then I want to talk a little bit about WandaVision with Roman when we finish our comic convo. Mm. Everybody caught up on episode three? We all got that? Hope so. Yeah, that was last night. I, I, I can't, don't know if I can remember. Oh, you try. can. Were you, were you baking brownies again, if you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's just I've since I watched that, I watched... Uh, pretty much all of season while well, I finished it season three of uh, Cobra Kai. So now that's in my head. Okay, oh, it's um, so good. It Always. is. It, I mean, it's so 
dumb, but it's done so well. Everybody's so good in that show. And God, I love the soundtrack, of course. But is the soundtrack all like eighties tunes or is it new music? It's, it's all eighties Tuesday playlist. Yeah, it's all eighties tunes. <laughs> nice. That rule. Well, some of them might be maybe possibly covers of eighties songs by more modern artists. I don't know, but <laughs> gosh, I have loved uh, being at least a little. Like, Roman does generously inform me about his enthusiasm of Cobra Kai occasionally, even though he knows I've never seen any of the source material. That's Not right. You when... even need to. No, you don't need to. I mean, they have plenty of like little flashbacks and stuff from the movies. Just yeah. like you in don't on need the important to read bits. Watchmen to enjoy Rorschach. <laughs> hey, yeah. just like that. This book yeah. is pretty Watchmen heavy, this particular issue. Is it? Oh, yeah, it I, is. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get to that, though. We'll get to that, though. Let's start with it. Fuck it. Why not? Rorschach, number one, is what we're going to be talking about first. Then we're going to talk about Batman and Catwoman, number two. Future State, Superman, Worlds at War. Future State, Catwoman. Future State, Immortal Wonder Woman. Deceased, Dead Planet. King in Black, number three. Crimson Flower, number one. And Rain Like Hammers, number one. We're going to stop for a pip, a pip, pip along the way. Have a little sipper. Uh, make sure everyone's had their bladders emptied. Thank you for hanging out with us. Let's talk about Rorschach number four. That is Tom King and Jorge Fornes. What a com! What a combo! These guys are great together. Yeah, they are. It's it's like the um, Lennon star. What? Gosh, I tried it again. It just doesn't what? work. I'm trying to make the wrong Beatles joke. I'm sorry. Okay. As you were, Beatles go over my head. I, you know, I. Well, if I had said Lennon McCartney, you would know. Right, right. Oh, right. It's, like, it's, it's like the Harrison Star. Yeah, kind okay. Of. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I thought you were talking about what's his name, Lennon from Russia with the Vladimir. red star. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. He did star, so the Russian cool. star. Yeah. I wonder if it wouldn't be easier to throw out like McCartney as the. It's like the. It's like the Ringo and McCartney. Maybe is the one to do. <laughs> right, like they're both alive still. Um, Rorschach, number four. I love this book, but it it really depressed me in a in a way that I just felt kind of bad, in a in a good way. Like again, it made me feel feelings, but it, it made me feel kind of bad. Really? What what depressed you about it was it? That yeah, you're this right. Kind of dumbo guy gets brainwashed by a smart sort of. Uh, I, I wouldn't even say she's evil, just uh, manipulative. And brainwashed compatriot? herself. Yeah. Like issue three, we learn that her dad is totally off his rocker and trained her to be off her rocker as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just that um, pretty friendly, simple guy who just liked a person and got totally manipulated and um, bought into something that I feel bad that they got bought in for and then got abandoned and they don't feel that bad. Like they still feel like it wasn't a big mistake. Yeah, that. It was just a, a little bit, a little bit, you know, I felt, I sat sad for him, it, 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 a gray area, you know? So do you think that this is a direct commentary on current politics and kind of leadership, like culty sort of brainwashing things? Yes. I think, I think that, and I think there's also the really overt, even just like kind of comment when they're going in, into the bit about the election being won by Redford again, and then talking about how the Republican party needs to have chosen somebody who is almost a centrist to like, cause they don't feel like they feel like the Republican party is not viable anymore. And I'm like, that's the conversation that we had on a Tuesday, like two weeks ago about yeah. them not being able to like 
in my mind reelect Trump or like ever have him as a candidate because like the I don't know it was weird to me how much a conversation in here seemed to be dealing with some very immediate modern day stuff and then also just like misinformation and brainwashing. Well, and I like that um, the the guy says uh, doesn't doesn't most everyone have a favorite color? Mine is orange. He says why orange? And the guy who got brainwashed says I don't know. I always said orange was was when I was a kid. So I say orange now. And I think that, that that kind of is like that that sets his character up on page one to be somebody who doesn't really come back around and question why mm-hmm. when he's presented with something from from you know when when he makes up his mind, his mind is made up. And that's kind of what happens to him later on when he mm-hmm. decides that she's uh on, on the good guy side. And then he must be too. And he never, even after he's in jail for all this stuff, he's not really examining that. Yeah, I uh, I didn't make that connection, but that is absolutely right. I think that's a really well done writing on his part because yeah, kind of everything in that statement kind of encapsulates his, his journey in this issue. Mm-hmm. Roman, what did you think about this one before I get into my questions? I guess I'm in my questions because I'm asking. You. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really liked it. I mean, not not as probably not as much as like the say the uh, the um, what was it issue two where any hard detective was in the building in the hotel. Yeah, um, yeah. This one wasn't quite that intricate, but it's so they're such great comic creators. I mean, the scenes when the main guy and the and the kid are out in the rain at the trailer park part of the behind the circus and mm-hmm. just the rain and the trees and the shadows. God, it's beautiful. That is a great and, and sad. <laughs> my, so my question is sort of, so this strong man has been told by the kid, the girl that we know gets killed with the Rorschach person in the first issue that Dr. Manhattan transport all of the consciousness of the Watchmen crew into bodies, which we know from reading the Watchmen isn't what happened. Right. But we do see a scene where that happens, which is totally understandable. This is just a visual representation of what happened. But then we get this accounting of this strong man telling the story of when Rorschach, I've interpreted the guy that he throws down the elevator shaft to be the person at the end of issue one of Watchmen that they're joking about how Rorschach threw him down an elevator shaft because he wanted to be punished. Oh, the masochist. Right. Because he says something like, I'll never tell. Never, ever, ever. Like, and then, you know, Rorschach throws him down the elevator shaft. But that's something that would have happened before Dr. Manhattan transports their bodies because it's the beginning of Watchmen's issue one. So is this person having memories like are they constructing memories is this a uh, like a hallucination or a schizophrenic thing that this person has done or are do they know stories and they're absorbing them and and thinking that they did that or maybe that's not the person that they talked about in watchman number one i I would have thought it was just a tom kim making a making a in joke reference to that because yeah you're right this the strong man as rorschach would have done this after actual Rorschach was dead right which would have been after he had thrown the guy down the elevator shaft the way I read it is the detective says why'd you first put on the mask 
And he says, well, see, Kit explained it to me and it made sense after she did. You see, I wasn't putting it on for the first time. Not like you're saying, no, I'd always worn it. And then we see the original Rorschach doing this thing as part of this guy's memory that he's manufactured in his head yeah, in so order that's... to absorb the idea that he had been right. Uh, like there's some schizophrenic soul in him where yeah. he's actually like taking memories and attributing to his own memory. It's I just... read it as a false memory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't know what to make of it at first because we hadn't fully gotten to that spot that he thinks that he's the reincarnation of Rorschach. But it was just interesting because it's just the two of them in this scene. I don't know how he could have known about it or other people could have known about it. I'd forgot until you asked the question, I'd forgotten all about that, that incident in Rorschach's past. So I didn't think any of those. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just always the Watchman guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that the book's uh, good. I should read it someday. <laughs> Lots of yellows. <laughs> just, I, I don't know how he can write such a good, boring thing. Like, this is just an interview with a dude. Mm -hmm. And the way that it's presented and the way that it's kind of unveiled for you is way more interesting than it has any right to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so convincing because I believe... God, what is the, do they ever say the, the strong man's name? Um, I believe his story just as much as I believe the actual story of Watchmen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, King wrote it so well that, I mean, this guy really, and even though he's presented with all these facts and even at the end when the detective tells him that, you know, the kid is dead and he's still like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so convincing and sad how this poor dumb guy and, you can extrapolate that to, you know, people is so convinced of, of these falsehoods. He's been so, I was just going to say that it's super hard to admit that you're wrong. And this guy mm -hmm. just can't really do it. I like that. Maybe he doesn't think that he's wrong. You know, like I like, I like that. I like this. I liked the little bit of uncertainty that he did display. Like, yeah, you know, at times I started to doubt maybe I was him, but you know, she was sure enough. And I, I don't know. It had that like, uh, yeah, I liked the ambiguity of that, that he wasn't able to, like he just found a truth and he held on to it, you know, it's kind of along for the ride at that point. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I really liked <clears throat> him and the way he stood by what was going on and how hurt he was. And I, I just, I think it was incredibly well done. Like you both said. And I, if, if this is to believe, it kind of opens up the explanation for what this series is. Like, how can there be more Rorschachs? Like, oh, this girl is out here with this understanding that people have had their bodies, you know, like shifted or whatever. And, um, and we're finding them to bring them out. Or maybe she doesn't believe that at all. And she's just using this person to do assassinations and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I we mean, don't I... know if she believes that story at all. Right. That's just what she used to manipulate Baldy. I got the feeling that this was uh just sort of uh a theory that was in the ether like this is this is something that people think oh. might have happened and so if you take that then you know there's billions of people on the planet some of them are going to think that it's true and then it must be them they must be the lucky ones who are dumpy dan in a night owl costume inside them yeah yeah i really liked that uh like the strong man here. I mean, he totally believes the cover story that Ozymandias was the hero and, and the squid was the big threat and the actual villain. And, mm -hmm. you know, just like Ozymandias wanted people to believe. I, 
I really liked it, but it, you know, it bummed me out. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, in a in a in a great way. I would I would give Rorschach number four a niner, nine nine point five. Yeah, uh, no, also no, also nine point five. Okay, all right. I love it. I'm gonna. I said nine to nine point five, so I'm gonna go up to nine point five. So we're all in agreement because you. I read Batman and Catwoman first, and then Rorschach because I was like, mm-hmm. these are, these are good fucking books. Like, damn. That's, that's how I did it. Batman, Catwoman, and then Rorschach. Tom Double King. Batman, Timu Mori. Phantasm, Catwoman, Joker, Murder, Cats, Guns, Double Cross, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful art time is yeah. all over the place in this issue my, my only problem with this book is i keep forgetting that it's phantasm because every time i see it, my first thought is oh it's the reaper from batman mm. year two <laughs> or he or, also actually now that i think about it doesn't look at all like him but it reminds me of uh the marvel villain who's got like the sword on his like the knife on his hand who's kind of piratey and maybe he's an avengers oh, villain and just like wonder man the Grim, yeah, the Grim Reaper, the Grim okay. Reaper. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that character design. Kind of reminds me of, of that. Time jumps all over in this, right? I had a hard time with that. It does, to be honest. And, yeah, I, I had to keep sorry. on reminding myself where where we when we were. I think the first like two pages of a Tom King book in general, I have to like kind of get into the flow of a Tom King book, and I think you can extrapolate extrapolate that and say the first three or so issues of a Tom King series. It's kind of you getting into the flow of what it is like Rorschach. It took mm-hmm. me till issue three to kind of feel like I got what direction in general, these issues are going stranger, strange adventures. Definitely true. Mr. Miracle took longer than that. So it, to me, it's kind of like a Tom King thing at this point. I first issues. I often don't know what's going on at all, but uh, time was all over the place here. I really like, I really like it. I really like the sort of three-ish different eras that we're working with. I really like whatever's happening here when they're old and Catwoman is killing the Joker. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that that Joker perched on the throne of presence. Yeah. Panel. Like that's, that is an amazing splash page. Yeah. I love when he old Joker peeks out of his kitchen just with the gun barrel through the door. It's such a great creepy image. Here's it really was. Jokey. You know what's really funny about this one is with all our Batman stuff we've been reading lately, I completely forgot that number one of Batman Catwoman had come out and I had read it and we talked about it because I picked this up <laughs> thinking, oh, good. Number one of the new series. And, <laughs> and like two, <laughs> two pages in, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I've read some of this story. The art is so gorgeous. Right after that scene of the Joker, like poking through the door with the gun, when the full page shot of him coming out the door and Catwoman is behind him, but she looks like the old grandma in the visit by Shyamalan or like just a, like a <laughs> old woman who's lost it. And yeah. uh, I, I really, that is a frightening shot. I mean, it, it, it confused he, me at first. He, he just shot also. And so yeah. that's all the feathers in the air. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is. Okay, guys. So for that book, for this book, for me, it, uh, I, you know, Phantasm, Mask of the Phantasm is one of my favorite Batman things. It's kind of was my introduction to the Batman origin in terms of like the first medium that I took it in as. So I love the Phantasm. I love Andrea Beaumont. We got a, like a gorgeous full page shot of the phantasm saying your angel of death awaits which is the line from the movie that he would always say and it's like this haunting image 
all of that just sort of, you know, tweaks my nerd nipples in the most uh, aggressive way that they could. But I also understand that that is really um, built on the fact that it's kind of like definitive defining Batman thing for me. So where are you two at with just even your level of caring? I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be good. It's almost like the shoe on the other foot about the Rorschach thing, right? Like, yeah, I don't have the the love or the context for the phantasm. I like this. I I would like a little more help with the time jumps. Yeah. Like just, just in general, I like what's going on. Um, but I feel like I have to read each issue more than once to even know when things are happening. Yeah. I, I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty much the same. I, I don't think it, I was, I probably was three or four pages in five pages in before I felt like, okay, it's all coming back to me. I'm starting to remember. And I don't have a connection. Well, like I said, I always think it's Phantasm is Reaper until I remind myself, no, wait, Mask of the Phantasm. Okay. <laughs> I would be just as happy if it was the Reaper. Like that's that's how little I need the Phantasm in something. For sure. I, I think that, you know, some of this book being pushed back and the time frames, it's not super coincidental that it came out right around the time that we went into the uh, hyper time, you know, went into the idea that, omniverse or hyper time exists like you know i think that tom king got far enough with his run that dc was getting a little nervous like you're making some big statements about the longevity of the con canon of these characters that we're trying to say have one canon um well, let's push that back a year and a half so that it can not be definitively you know it can be it can kind of be elseworldy that's my own reading into it no i'm reading it as if it's a follow-up to the batman annual number two yeah, which was him and Catwoman's relationship up mm -hmm. through Bruce's death. Yeah, and, yeah, and then I'm seeing this as a an ending to that. Yeah, sorry, I got excited with the thoughts I had been thinking. I agree exactly. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what I meant to say. I'm gonna give this one a nine. I know I'm. Uh, I you know I, I predict I'll be sort of higher on this because it does. It is sort of feeding um, a Hansel and Gretel trail to my generation of Batman animated <laughs> series fans to an evil witch's cabin in the woods. I would give this, give this an eight and a half and mostly just because the time jumps are unnecessarily confusing. You guys are working in a medium that allows you to make this stuff clear and there's no reason to make us off balance the whole time trying to figure out when we're, when we're reading. Yeah, I think I'll do, I'll go 8.5. Um, I'm having the same issues as Django is, but you know, I like it. It's Tom King. I love the logo, the little cute Batman head and Catwoman head and their, in their names is awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Good, good future. Let's get into the future state portion of the show. My friends. Whoa. Yay. Where, hyper time. Where are we going to the future? Django. The Omni my man. future. The Omni cheddar. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's start with Superman Worlds at War, which I got a text from Django this morning saying it had it's something to the effect of it was better than it had any right to be. Unpack me. The cover is super uninteresting to me. It's yeah. Superman in like a skin suit and chains with some sort of weird battle axe and he's trying to kill some bad guys while Mongol looks on. But that's not what the story is at all for the most part it's um written by philip kennedy johnson with art by mikhail janine and it just it just follows 
this young lady into a group of people in Smallville talking about why Superman is gone. And Smallville has kind of turned into a Vegas style tourist trap with people selling, you know, rocks from the Kent's field and um, teaching you how to play Kryptonian instruments that seems like maybe a gag, something false. And it, it's just like a few people tell their stories about Superman saving them. And then a few people give their conspiracy theories about why Superman has abandoned us. And I just thought that that was really, really well done. And then at the end, we find out that Superman's actually on war world and being forced to battle in a Coliseum situation by Mongol or the son of Mongol or some shit. It is Mongol and too. Yeah. Even that I thought was way cooler than I expected. And maybe it's because there wasn't much of it. If, if this had been 25 pages of Superman, Superman's battle tactics on Warworld's mud planet, like, fuck that. That would be no good. And then, and then there's a story about uh, Shiloh Norman, Mr. Miracle. And Getting a lot of really Shiloh like Norman that. out of Future State. Yeah. Feels like well, they're this making is, a push for some, making some more IP money. I think that this is just following, this is a, an ongoing thread that's going through these Superman issues. Because I think this is part three and the Superman of Metropolis will have part two is how I read it. Like this is a continuation of what we started in the Superman of Metropolis. Okay, I didn't. I haven't read either. No, I did read the first Shiloh Norman, but I didn't read this one, so I don't know. I think it's the same team. And this- It looks like the art was- Awesome. And the Midnighter story, also awesome. And also ties into both the Superman story and the Shiloh Norman story. Um, and I could have done without the Black Racer story. I thought that was not as interesting, although it looks like it's going to tie in with the rest of it. I'll bet you love this, Roman. I did. Um, starting right with the cover, because actually I, I love the cover because it's such a pulp sci-fi type of cover. Um, and I think And I think it might be a nod to the science, the pulp science fiction story Gladiator that was supposedly one of the inspirations for Siegel and Schuster for Superman, nice. though that's debated. Um, but yeah, I really dug it. I love that whole thing about this this group sitting out in a field talking about their ideas about what happened to Superman because it reminded me of that. Oh, we've talked about it on on Biq um, that Batman story from the seventies where the kids are sitting around the campfire talking about what they each think Batman is. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Wayne is like the scoutmaster or something. <laughs> and then ending on World World with, you know, just Superman being Superman and trying to defend the other guy automatically and looking all cool. Oh, that's awesome. I love the idea of somebody crumpling Superman and another dude up and putting him in a steel box to drag him into the gladi gladiatorial arena. Like... <laughs> Holy shit, he's either depowered or he's got some badasses handling him right now. Yeah, yeah, that was great. The guy, you know, to release him just hurls the cage across the arena and <laughs> burst it open. It's like, oh, they're on Scartaris. Oh no, it's Warworld. Um I didn't the Mr. Miracle story, I mean, that was a cool setting. I mean, I have to admit, I don't I nothing against him, but I don't really care about Shiloh Norman. You know, when I read a Mr. Miracle story, I I want to read Scott Free. Mm -hmm. throughout it i was like where's scott free wasn't the other mr miracle <laughs> story him stuck in the candor bottle 
Yeah, he it was yeah, he was stuck in the Candor mm-hmm. bottle with uh Gladiator. No. The Guardian. It was the Guardian, Guardian was a separate one. I don't think he was stuck in the bottle. I can't remember now though. He should I didn't be. read that one. Because he but can this, escape. So oh, this yeah. one starts with the note that it takes place after the next issue of Superman and Metropolis. I didn't. I didn't read any of the oh. short either of the short ones in this issue. Uh, so the Black Racer one, which I didn't realize that last story was a Black Racer story because I didn't see any of the iconography of like the Kirby esque one except for me, a face. And then I didn't read this one. I really loved it. I loved oh, right. like the first bit. I loved the first bit, and I loved the Midnighter. Well, I I liked the Midnighter bit a lot. Um, I liked the art in the Midnighter bit. I thought it was written pretty well. It was all a little like breaking in. You know, it was all, it was all a little bit of an action scene breaking into a thing for me, but I actually yep. liked the art quite a bit and I liked that character and I don't know much about Apollo and Midnighter, but the fact that Apollo seemed antagonistic was interesting to me because I know that they're mm-hmm. a couple. So yeah, but, and but I, the, oh, go ahead. I was, I want to go back to the Superman story, which I, I really oh. liked. Um, I think that the way that they introduced this story, you know, the first 75% of that Superman story is has really nothing to do with what you would think the cover is. And I think that it's one of the best, one of these future state stories I've read for that. Like it, it was, it, it, um, it waded in the glory of these characters. And I think that that is a rad thing to do. Like, I want that. I want to hear about Superman being a superhero for all of these people. And Philip Kennedy Johnson, who wrote this writes the last God for DC, which is a high oh, okay. fantasy myth book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like I was at first a little I have kind of written that book off. I'm I don't read it, so I'm I'm a bad guy for doing that. I have prejudice about fantasy. Sorry, Andrew Carlson. But um <laughs> I, I think that the way so I was like, okay, I don't really know what this is gonna be, but the way that myth was woven into this, I thought was fantastic. It was sort of dealing with the people in the wake of Superman talking about the myth of Superman and, and so I really liked that. Eight. I give this one an eight. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, I don't care about Midnighter, but that was a fun story. He's funny. Um, I kind of skimmed through the action sequences because uh, right. I don't really care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this, I'm gonna give this uh, 9.5 just because I love that first story so much. I'd give it a 10 if, if the whole book was the Superman story. Roman, that's <laughs> crazy because what I was just fighting over is that I think. I want to say 8.5 and I think it would be an 8.5 if it was only the Superman story. I think with everything else, it's an eight, but I yeah. think the Superman story like is, is really, really good. Yeah. Actually, I only read four future state books this week and I think all of them were really good. Um, <laughs> I, I really liked future state Catwoman. I'm hearing a lot of snow piercer references. I've never seen that. I don't really know what the story, I know it's on trains in the snow in the future um i really oh yeah there's an ad for it right there holy shit that's bizarre i love otto schmidt's art otto schmidt did the art on this rom v wrote it schmidt has done marvel stuff and dc stuff over the last several years i bet both companies are sort of starting a war about trying to sign him to an exclusivity contract and whoever (laughs) gets that is gonna win in my mind because i I really love his art the snow piercer stuff in this i i just started watching the snow piercer show so uh like fighting your way through the levels of a train is nothing new for me this this week uh but i i thought it was really well done yeah i wonder if having not seen snowpiercer kind of increases the novelty of that 
scene a little bit because Braden had also said that like it's got heavy snow piercer vibes. I'm like, okay, well, cool. I haven't, I don't know anything about that. A train is just a skyscraper on its side with the poor people at the bottom <laughs> and the rich people at the top. Wow, that sounds like it's actually a line from something, and I hope it's not. I hope you just spitballed that. Roman, what did you think about it? Oh, I do want to, just before that, there is a shot of this train going underneath a bridge, and it says Pullman Bridge, Gotham. And I Googled Batman creators Pullman and didn't get anything. And if, Whoa. in fact, a, rotor, a writer wrote the name of something in Gotham and didn't have it be the name of an artist or writer at this point... That's amazing. That this is the first appearance of the Pullman Bridge, <laughs> or maybe not at all. But I googled it and I couldn't easily on the first page of results find a Pullman who did Batman stuff. I love that. I didn't even notice that. See, I'm thinking Pullman is is a is a train reference. Oh, the somehow. Pullman, like yeah, like yeah, that's like a a job on a train. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. I don't know. I was. I thought this was fine. I've never seen any snow snow piercers. I'm not, you know, I'm not a big fan of Otto Schmidt's art, but you know, I don't have anything against it either. I thought it was fine. I think everybody should take a moment and go to autoschmidtart.com. I have listening to this podcast. He, it is an amazing website. He has some amazing art books. I even wrote them an email at one point to try and get their art book in the store because it was like $60. And I was like, do you have any way that I could get this wholesale for my store? And they said no. Because um, <laughs> I, I did just want it for myself. So they saw through me. They knew. Um, I'd give this a seven and a seven. Solid seven. I'd go eight. Ooh, you fancy. I really love Otto Schmidt's art. And if you go to his website, the, there's a ton of art on it. And it, he yeah. he draws beautiful women. I guess I'd give it a six and a half. And I'm, and I'm it's so funny. Well, Future State's not for me, but I'm not the intended audience, but I'm, I get so confused. I'm like, wait, Bruce is, is this storyline at all related to the other storylines in the Batman books where he was like a fugitive running through Gotham and then he was captured? Oh, is this him it's captured? It's the Omniverse. Yeah, but I don't... I, well, I said it last episode. It I, I don't like that. It's confusing. <laughs> with you. Maybe you should stick with your Crisis on Infinite Earths, old man. Yeah, the classics, the good stuff. That'll <laughs> give a 10. Okay. Immortal Wonder Woman, which is by Becky Cloonan and Jen Bartell, who I just said Joelle Jones instead of because Joelle Jones and Jen Bartell's names get crossed in my mind. This is one of the most colorful, attractively illustrated comics out this week, I think out yeah in a long time yeah it's beautiful yeah and it's it's nice that you know it's a king and black tie-in but they don't put that banner all over the front <laughs> um roman i don't get it is there king and black stuff happening in here well that page with all these uh, black dragons flying oh, around in space attacking everything <laughs> you're right it totally that, that did make me think of king of black while i was reading it this one um it's Wonder Woman with the Amazons after they've claimed Earth and the world of man has fallen and now Darkseid has turned his vision on it and they're all going to fight and she kind of talks to Bruce through a projection in his belt maybe and because um, he's a force ghost yeah he's a force ghost Superman's old Swamp Thing is just a tree that gives his life energy to her I think it's one of the most beautiful books I've looked at the nature shots around it are like when she's just standing around trees blow my mind at how pretty it is. Big Barda. 
Big Barge is, is amazing. Colorful and terrifying. Some panels look like Liz Frank. Um, you know, if anyone knows, or sorry, Lisa Frank, not Lisa Liz Frank. Frank. That's what yeah. she went by only in adult circles. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you're into Lisa Frank art, there's a lot of that in here. Just absolutely gorgeous. Um, the writing could have been worse and I would have still liked it. It wasn't bad, but I, that's not really what stands out at all. Yeah. I liked the the writing in the very beginning and I really liked the Swamp Thing stuff. I did. I, I really liked the Swamp Thing stuff. Pretty ambivalent about the the back and forth with the Amazonians, but I read it all and it looked awesome. I, yeah. I the, Just that first story in here, the Jen Bartell art is worth the price of admission. And I thought that the backup was pretty good too. Did you read that one, Jeff? I did. And I was excited to talk to Roman about Nubia, who is frankly a character I didn't know anything about. Um, yeah, she was introduced. She's been around for a while too, but they don't use her very often. Um, she was introduced originally as a Wonder Woman's, Wonder Woman's sister, basically and a backup Wonder Woman. She was formed out of, in the old good origin, she was, Nubia was formed out of darker clay than Wonder Woman. Um, but, and that's how they explain that they're sisters, but don't look anything alike. And I'm glad to see her I back mean, in some way. And they brought Grail in, who's a relatively new creation from the New 52, Jeff Johns, Dark Side War stuff. Yeah, so, so Grail is, she's the daughter of Dark Side and an Amazonian, Amazon? Is that it? I don't, I don't remember if she has Amazonian heritage. I would believe that. I forget who the mom was. Yeah, yeah, because the mom was the Wonder Woman on Earth too. Is that right? Whatever her name is. is. I don't Gosh. remember at all. In the, uh, I don't know. It's just in here. So I think she somebody refers or Grail says that she's she has some link to the Amazons. This uh, this splash page of Nubia is awesome. It looks like um, really good. John Byrne to me from when he was doing Wonder Woman or She-Hulk. You know, they like, do great stuff with her hair in this. Yeah. 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 Uh, Aletha Martinez is the penciler and Mark Morales is the anchor. L.L. McKinney is the writer. I'm not familiar with any of that creative team. Any of those people. Yeah. Um, and and no, apparently her... Oh, go ahead. That's all. No, Roman, you go ahead. And, and apparently Nubia's story is happening many decades before Diana's story in the first part of the book. Yeah, I, I took Diana's story to be happening sometime shortly before um, Swamp Thing's series. I give Immortal Wonder Woman, it's hard because that art is amazing. I'm going to say an eight because I think the art is probably up in the nine range. I think the writing is is not super, super far behind, but probably probably around an eight. Yeah, I'm going to give it an eight also. And I just want I just want Jen Bartel to color everything, even if she doesn't have time to draw it. I want I her to know. color everything. Her coloring is incredible. It, yeah, it is. It is beautiful. I mean, Themyscira is just, it truly does <laughs> look like paradise. It's, it's right up there with George Perez's drawings of, of the island. Except here, it's all multicolored and beautiful. Can you imagine Jen Bartel coloring George Perez's... Oh. That'd be, <laughs> like, that'd be sweet and some of the stuff like dark side he doesn't even need a boon to me nor he's just shooting through space like a comet and yeah it looks great i want uh, her to roman color did... anything except the shadow comic <laughs> <laughs> i need more <laughs> darkness uh roman did you get a score for that i'm sorry oh uh i'll give it uh yeah an 8.5 so those are all the future state books i took home 
Uh, I read New Batman, the next Batman number two. I think we're just going to be covering number ones. Were there Nightwing number one came out? Shazam, anyone have anything to say about those? Uh, I didn't love Shazam, but it had the creeper. And I thought hard about Roman when that came, when I got to that page. <laughs> I mean, no, sorry. You I thought, thought about, about Roman, Roman hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that... <laughs> God, Django, we're there, bud. I, I was so excited at the beginning of this um shazam future state i mean it starts off with with shazam and hell and there's neron and and it, and it's cool and there's a new there's a justice league but yeah then and they introduced the creeper and it's a beautiful page he's it it's it even did something different with creeper where he's laughing like it's not the same laugh pattern he usually does but then they kill him a page later <laughs> it was and it went downhill yeah it went downhill for me from there i'll give the creature creeper page a 10 but the whole mm -hmm. comic <laughs> i'll give like a, a five maybe even a four actually yeah i would i would give it a i'm gonna give it no score <laughs> I, I don't have the heart to give it a, a score that low so let's just continue with this entirely dc podcast that we've constructed and talk <laughs> about deceased dead planet issue number seven of seven this is the end of i guess the third deceased series but the second kind of main spine portion of this series because unless second you was... count the digital ones then it's the oh. fourth or the fifth it's tom taylor trevor harrison we love the deceased stuff i think this ended i think the last couple issues of this particular thing kind of went down a little bit for me the last like two issues mm -hmm. and then i think this ended a little bit lackluster than it began and then the deceased stuff has generally been and i kind of figured it out during this in this particular second series we had the deceased zombie plague mm -hmm. but then i don't know i never really got to the organic feeling that this trigon threat was what this series was about so like when this final issue ended up being mostly about slaying trigon and i was like yeah i guess the last issues have been about trigon I, I thought that was just sort of like a side mission we were doing at one point my i guess my feeling is that the gravitas of like that battle and that moment it didn't feel like what this series was super about yeah and i think that feels like maybe a, a problem that i think comic books and and movies and tv shows and like serial storytelling kind of run into this problem sometimes where the first one is about keeping your family safe. And the next one's about keeping your town safe. And the next one's about keeping the country safe. And then it's the world. And then it's the whole galaxy. And this just kind of kept growing to Trigon, which was confusing and, and uninteresting to me. But the rest of it, like the, the smaller scale stuff, um, Constantine's little manipulations and just the way that they got to the point to defeat Trigon and the way that they kind of split their split their team in order to solve the deceased problem. I like that bit a lot. Roman, are you reading this? Yeah. And I, and I agree, Django, that's, that's what I really liked about this. I mean, I thought, I thought this series was just kind of like walking dead. It's about how the remaining superheroes survive and are slowly trying to make things better. Um, the Trigon thing, I just, even with this issue, I felt like, well, yeah, that's a side plot line that we have to wrap up right now. 
<laughs> yeah, and that's how I felt as well. It just felt like I was feeling like it was a side plot line for the last couple of issues. And then the triumphant big climactic moment of this whole series seemed about that. And I thought kind of the whole time it was a side thing. So I also don't know a ton about Trigon. So it, it hit a little flat there for me. And then I also just felt it's interesting to hear you talk about sort of like stories like this and how they evolve with, uh, you know, serialized storytelling. Cause in my mind, I was sort of thinking about it as like, like 28 days later or something like oftentimes you have the first piece of a, of a series and it just introduces the thing. And then it's good enough to warrant mm -hmm. a next one. So this one sort of followed that route to me, which is introduce the problem and now introduce like how we can correct the problem. Mm -hmm. But this one like wrapped that up it didn't leave a lot of room for a third one yeah I, I i thought that the art in this was really great and i guess the the thing that this issue and maybe last issue were missing for me was that huge inventive reveal that we've been getting like plastic man as a river of insanity and you know different combinations of of people and i guess this one had it a little bit with dr fate and like i love the dr fate misdirection where he's an old man and they they bring him back and all right well we did it deceased i give you i give you as a franchise a 9.5 i give this issue an eight exactly the same yeah exactly the same jeff you read my oh my... <laughs> yeah and yeah exactly the same for me too it's Rock addled yeah. in his mind. There's like there are some cute little great moments in this, like Flash and Superman having a race. But uh, the only thing I don't like about this series is that it, I mean I know it's a different reality and everything, but Damien is just way too nice. Yeah, Damien should never be that nice. Yeah, he would be if Grant Morrison had written him into this age. I'm just really just excited to talk to everybody about the most recent issue of Comic Shop News that ended up in everyone's <laughs> file crimson lotus or crimson flower number one <laughs> sam asked me is that one of those flyers that's in all the bags because it looks just like yeah, it and the exactly. paper stock is really flimsy as well it's, yeah there was th is unfortunate yeah there was one uh comic i packed for somebody last week that all they got was crimson flower number one and if they don't get bags and boards, you know, I, I stick it inside as CSN. I was like, oh boy, this is going to trick him. He might just throw out the whole thing. It's just two CSNs, <laughs> comic shop newses. That said. That said. This is a fucking cool comic. Yeah, this this is a great comic. So I want to hear Roman pitch it, but I just, I spent the whole time reading it, trying to do a thing that I didn't want to do, but knew I was going to, which was, try and take a person's art that is entirely unique and to describe it through words using other artistic reference points to an audience that can't see it. So <laughs> here's what I've got so far. <laughs> this is done. The art, I mean, it's written by Matt Kent and the art is by Matt Lesniewski, who, do you remember the book, The Freak that came in? No. Within the last year, you would recognize the cover. While I explain this, do a Google of The Freak and you'll recognize it. Wait, um, was that... Was that a graphic novel? It was a single issue that was supposed to be more. It was uh, like a thick oh. issue. It was oh, in yeah. the graphic novel section, but it was it was technically an issue number one. Uh, so this dude wrote and drew that. Um, so here's where I'm working with. I have, and I always forget which one it is. So Roman, you correct me. Not Charles Burns, but Eight Ball. Peter Beck. Daniel um, Klaus. Daniel, Daniel Klaus. Klaus. 
it's like Daniel Klaus with some David Rubin. So what I was thinking is take Frank quietly and fill the bodies, just stuff them full of mashed potatoes Yep. until they're overly full. And then add an amount of David Rubin, a little bit of Daniel Klaus, and then an amount of uh, Ian Bertram. So like the tentacles, the t- like the lack of realistic hair and muscles and length of anatomy that you would get in an Ian Bertram or a Raphael Grandpa. Mix that with like the facial expressions, the eyes, the weird gross eyes with dots of, of Daniel Klaus with the kind of grotesque Frank. I, I love this art. It's unlike anything. And it's an insult that the way that my brain wants to share the fact that it's unlike anything is to try and describe it by comparing it to other things of which there's nothing like it. I don't, yeah, I don't know how else you could really get it out there. I, I would even put like a little R crumb float on the top. Sure. Sure. It's it's the, the Arkham. One of the most interesting things. The legs are very Arkham. You're absolutely well, right. Well, I've well, I've got one for you. Please. Um, and I see in the faces definitely. I uh, now can't remember the artist's name, but some of the artists you reference. But for me, I was like, wow, this is cool. This person was obviously influ- influenced by Basil Wolverton. Oh, who's that? Oh, yeah. Um, Golden Age artist did a lot of sci-fi and some funny comics. Okay. Um, Google him when you have a chance. He he he's his specialty was like the weird distended bodies and flowy, strange anatomy. <laughs> yeah, it's just so grotesque. Everybody is disgusting, and and I knew that we were in for something super strange and gross when I think it's even on the first page we get a close up on yeah we get a close up on this girl's eyes, and he's highlighted and, and drawn the tear duct area of the eyes in a weird kind of visceral cave-like way. That's the Daniel Klaus. I have the image yeah, up okay. on my computer right now to be able to send it to you guys, but it's it's one of the, like a velvet glove, cast in iron, all of those issues started with a face shot of a person mm-hmm. and all of those detailed shots are like the faces in here, but particularly this woman um, that is in like a velvet glove, cast in iron. Um, I wish I could send it zoom, make it easier to send an image through the chat, please. But yeah, that, that, those eye ducks, exactly. The tear ducks are what give it that, that Klaus thing to me. And then the Rubin absurdity, Andrew thoughts. Mm. If you haven't grabbed this, I think you need to grab it. You like Matt Kent, you like David Rubin. I think you're going to like this. Andrew, I'm looking at you. Um, I can screen share, although I know that that's bad for Roman's connection speed. Um, (laughs) The veins. Would the you mind veins? I, the, this story <laughs> is great as well because it's Matt Kent, right? The veins, Django, a hundred percent. The arm veins, the face veins. Um, but this is so about uh, story, and it. Uh, I'm just curious. I was thinking about you while reading it. You want to just give a brief idea of what this is about to folks? Yeah, it's um, pretty original story. It's it's about this woman that in Russia whose job is she's a pharmaceutical um, rep that goes around to different um clinics and doctors that kind of thing selling them and that's her cover but she's actually hunting for the um guy who was probably working for the um russian government who killed her father and i and i found him and he's made out of veins you know you know what made it feel roman-esque to me um was everything you just said is a great description of it's this young girl whose father has died but what i loved is that 
the way that we're introduced to it is that she starts the story just saying like, I remember my father's study distinctly. And if I was very quiet and very good, he would let me hang out in the study with him and I would read books. And the bit that we get about this character is that she's really into escapism. She's really into reading stories and becoming those stories. So there's this almost Grass Kings-esque bit about when she's experiencing reality, it becomes fictional to her. In the scene where she remembers going to visit her dad dying, she's coming from a portion of the room that is shrouded in fantasy. And then as she's remembering it while she's driving, she becomes a mythical person flying off. Mm-hmm. And I really liked how rooted in this character's perception of reality is filtered through being mythical. And that's kind of what I, I liked about and made me think about Roman of just like Roman being an only child and entertaining himself with stories as a child. Like, that the shot of her like three pages from the end when she goes in to find her father's dead body and like the back of the room is this like jungle area. I guess I interpreted yeah. that as like her escaping story and coming back to reality. Yeah, me, me too. Cause yeah, I mean, some of those uh, roots and limbs are coming out of the books, the bookcases. I interpreted that as her brain breaking. Ooh. Like this is, this is when she started existing in two different times or whatever like as as two different people yeah i like Um, that because it's kind of the same thing right like using fiction as a way to get through like using you know mythic identity as a way to get through everyday reality and uh yeah and then that kind of makes you wonder like is this old man that she finds who's got the crazy veins and his his waist is so small and his beard is so long like is he her delusional idea of him you know what i mean like is he is he exaggerated because we're seeing him through her eyes could be because when you know when she tells the story to him about the the miners they're all um strange figures and and you know not not as weird as he is but they're all definitely like non-human looking kind of right like everybody has the hands that are like two heads thick <laughs> well and and like when she's talking to the doctor she sees him as a wolf yeah but only only in that scene when he's getting all less which i like lascivious for her and i like that about her character too that the way she dresses because at first i was like you're a drug rep and this is how you don't dress very professionally and then i realized on that page oh she dresses that way as part of her part of her technique to yeah. to make these guys you know drop their guard and think something else is going to happen yeah i could i could look at this art all day long yeah that first page jeff you're right that first page if it had started right away with the in the doctor's clinic with her doing her job her fake job it wouldn't have grabbed me as much as this first page because these first few panels i was like oh what a wonderful study and look at that his desk is actually built into and connected to the bookcases how awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh it's a really interesting book and it's really interesting for matt kent specifically because while his artists are always pretty out there tyler jenkins uh you know obviously there's a, a wide list of all of them um david rubin this is in that line of it but this is like she's popping these pills that are dealing with schizophrenia the whole time while she's selling these pills. And it, it, it's, it's a little bit in that realm of out there that 
gosh, like Matt Kent stuff for, you know, like you look at black badge and stuff like it's, it's out there, but it's pretty grounded as well. And this mm-hmm. is a little bit more like psychotic than I, I guess I consider Matt Kent stuff generally. Well, and she's got a guardian angel. We find out on the last page too, which is I'm assuming somebody who appeared to help her out um, after her dad dies, like a character from the Slavic folklore that she was reading in the beginning. That's interesting. My interpretation of that was the way that like she was envisioning herself as that. She was saying, "I, th- I think she's two people." Yeah, I, I think that like I think that she kind of lives her life in a mythic fashion, um, and she's kind of like, yeah. But you're right. The language is a little bit. It's her narration, but she's saying, "But not as she is, but as who she wants to be." But who is she kidding? Who am I kidding? I'm pretty sure this is who I've always been. So it is this weird. Um, disassociation but it is sort of like this is who I've always been yeah. this person living in fantasy like she I feel yeah. like she is hunting these murderers and perceiving herself as a hero and doing it yeah yeah it's I, it's, yeah. it's ten. really 10 no way I give this really? a fucking 10 yeah <laughs> wow. like nice what, what could possibly dock it from a 10 there's not no, a single great. wasted panel the story is in, engaging the Okay. Okay. Nine point nine nine. Wait. Whoa. No. No. Dude. Don't. No. Don't back like, down. no don't one back here down. was just talking you. Unless out of a you tent. get a cover that is not this one that looks like comic <laughs> shop news. There, we do have two two other covers for the series at the store. Yeah, get the one that's not the fat white borders. Also, this artist did a variant cover for Ninja Turtles this week. Yeah, which is weird, right? Like the only thing that's come into the store has been the freak, and now we have two things coming in on the same week. Mm-hmm. Wow. Bizarre. You know. You know, though, Django, you saying that about the cover it occurred to me you know maybe the csn cover that that fits the theme though of you know her being one way but but her real self being something else maybe, <laughs> maybe that's a thematic thing <laughs> uh, i was thinking maybe this is indicating like it is it is like almost a full inch of margin around the the cover um yeah. i wonder if it's supposed to look like a book plate like like a a full color oh painting oh. in, bound into a book well i was going to give it a 10 but you gave it a 10 <laughs> i'm going to give it a 10 too jesus i can't yeah match there's a not, 10 i'm sorry there's there's yeah like Django said there's nothing superfluous in this there's nothing wasted or or it's a beautiful book it's beautiful uh nine or a 9.5 i i don't know is that okay you can do a 10 if you want we can do three tens I don't. It's not a to. ten for me. As, as a group, a we, as a group, we can give it a thirty. What, what would you give it if you hadn't heard our scores, buddy? Like an eight point five or a nine. It's mm-hmm. it probably, I think, a nine. Like I think it's great, and I love the uniqueness of its vision. Um, it, it didn't do, it didn't light up the regions of my brain that I feel like kind of are associated with a ten for me. Like. And this is why you and I can't agree on Fast and Furious movie order. (laughs) (laughs) Fast and Furious is amazing. This like didn't do that thing that kind of makes me leave my body and just get lost in realization and thought. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I give things a 10 sometimes that don't do that. But this was a really good story and I think it could become better, but it didn't have the emotional catharsis for me that I think is kind of a part of a 10. But the book that I give a 10 this week, no, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I i am excited to talk about rain like hammers uh by brandon graham from image comics and i'm very curious 
what the two of you thought about it because it is a very unique book. It's very Brandon Graham. There has not been a Brandon Graham book in a long time. I don't know really how often we've talked about a Brandon Graham written and drawn story on the podcast. Maybe ever. This is used to be one of Justin's favorite creators ever. I've met him at several comic conventions, paid him to do uh, commissions like Justin had, and we hung out while he did that. And he is incredibly nice to us. And I, I yeah, um, I, re- I just really like this guy. I thought this comic was awesome. Did, Rain Like Hammers? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Wow, that blows my mind. I did not anticipate that. It's slow. And world building in a way that I think would normally kind of irritate me, but there's just something super compelling about it. And the way that he leaks information out to the reader was more well done than I I think I've seen him do before. And I haven't read everything that he's done, but I've read a handful of his books and just stuff like there's uh, Eugene, the main character, goes back to his room and he's thinking about how he doesn't know anybody in this place. And it shows from above his bedroom and his bathroom. And then it just shows all the rooms around him and the different people doing the different things in those rooms. That was when I knew that I was 100% in on this because it, it just has such a, such a confident sense of place in this kind of labyrinth of literally a city on wheels. It's like these big tanks rolling around the, the wastelands. And it's not like steampunk, crazy pirate ships attached to diesel tanks or anything like that. It's just real stripped down, simple kind of minimalist escalators. And yeah, I, I, I love the world and I like the character and I, and I love the mystery that it created. That. I love hearing that. Um, have you seen the Black Mirror episode where it's like a future world? I've only seen a handful of Black Mirror episodes, but like it's people who are like all in the, like they live in these basically small rooms and like exercise all day to like win a currency. And then ultimately like somebody like tries to kill somebody or something. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like episode two of the first series. It's weird and feels a lot like this it felt a lot like it to me like until about halfway through this where it diverged drastically um Mm -hmm. but i was like oh is this just kind of a remake of that but then it it became not that but yeah all these people live in these giant roaming machines that are the size of cities and we don't really know why they live there and and we meet somebody who lives on on one of them and the end of it kind of ends with one of the four or five of them that exist gets destroyed and they all go like the remaining ones go to check it out and then our buddy exits and it looks like maybe the one that he's on got wrecked as well yeah i wasn't real clear on that but i think so i just love his yeah. construction of these mechs sorry roman please um no i'm just flipping to the back to see oh yeah i thought maybe the two cities ran into each other but no we don't know what caused his city elephant to uh get damaged like that but i love that that's one of the sequences i love though is he's asleep it's got that tiny little panel in surrounded by black and it looks like a chris ware type of page yep yeah um and then there's the bump that wakes him up but then he takes the time to realize his shirt stinks so he puts it in this cool like instant laundry box that floats in the air 
and he puts a shirt back on then it goes to investigate and then he then then we find out the bump was his city getting damaged but we don't know why what he doesn't run into anybody on his way either like no and yeah deserted which a lot of the time you don't see people when he's commuting but it's it it was it felt kind of eerie that he was walking through and and not running into anybody at all yeah, it did, because not that much time had passed. There should still be people running around. And I like just like, I like Brandon Graham's art a lot. And in general, his work is so world building focused. Mm-hmm. It, it can almost sometimes go into the Kieran Gillen, like lost in the weeds of world building. Yeah. But I don't feel like it, it did do that um, mm-hmm. too much here. But I, what I liked is that the art, it was so like, he was constructing these giant, they look like malls, like open abandoned mm-hmm. malls. And I kept thinking to myself, like, man, it's kind of like barren looking, like his worlds are a little bit more lived in than this usually. And then early on, he just says like, yeah, it's this weird antiseptic. He describes it as antiseptic. I was like, okay, that's exactly what I was thinking is the whole thing yeah. is like weirdly sterile in a way that is unusual. Um, and but then it's all you know part of the story makes sense yeah it's it's a weird i loved the extra pages of material after the story ended i really i really liked the final two pages which is a thing that he often does i hope he does it uh more in this but there's like the comic process stuff where he draws and writes sort of just what he's going through and Mm -hmm. his his art is always so like many of these pages are just like it's not traditional comic storytelling it's like someone's sitting there eating with a thing and it has like boxes coming off the food describing what the food is and that's what profit did a lot and i like this and i like what he's describing it as which is sort of he's going through his second big depressive episode in his life and um he's working through it while making this comic series that he had an idea for going through the first major depressive episode of his life so yeah i really liked his pages in the back talking about um what he calls a processing comic comic Mm -hmm. um and he talks about one of my one of my favorite um, manga kas, manga creators, Jiro Taniguchi. And he talks particularly about The Walking Man, which I love that manga, um, and how the main character, the chapters are just it, it's about getting caught in a rainstorm while you're walking home, um, and you want to take a hot bath when you get there, or or walking your dog and finding somebody's lipstick, and that's all it's about. <laughs> it's almost like. And this is this is a super dated reference. I don't know if you've seen Star Wars, but you have to make a lot of assumptions in the original Star Wars movie about kind of the history. Imagine going into Star Wars and not knowing the cantina like you know it now. You've read or heard of or watched an entire feature length story about every single side character in that fucking bar at this point. But going in the first time, you have to invent that in your head. And that's kind of what this feels like, where he's giving you a lot of detail about and, and texture for the world. But you don't know what's going on with those guys that are outside of the, the city. And you don't know why things are shaped this way. Or like, there's there's a lot for you to layer on to this thing. Yeah, yeah. it's really it's really fun discovering that as you go. And you don't know when you begin why it's called Elephant and why he has an elephant tattoo but you you know you find out without there ever being a caption or anything saying oh and the cities are named after animals blah 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 right right also brandon graham has a big elephant tattoo on his neck 
Oh, does he? And, like <laughs> all and like the number of elephants that are sneakily hidden in everything in this is is interesting. And he I draws an characters with face. elephant tattoos. You know, it's it's weird. I realized that like halfway through my time with this book, is there's elephants and everything. It's bizarre. I would give it. Um, gosh, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I enjoyed it in eight point five. I enjoyed it a nine. I put off reading it because it's so big. It was the last mm-hmm. comic I read, and I, I was very gratified. It's funny. I started reading it in the Boomer's parking lot, and realized that I can't slam this comic down in a parking lot. I, it just takes more time to invest with this book. Um, I'm not even touching that one, Jeff. Yeah, I had to back out to too. <laughs> slam it down somewhere else. <laughs> um, well, you know, speaking of slamming it down, I'm you know. Rain like rain like gooeys. Oh, Did you just give this a ten? A hammer duck. <laughs> yeah, Dude. yeah. I think this is the first. No, no, it's not the first Brandon Grant thing I've ever read all the way through. But it's like the second thing of wow. his I've read all the way through. Yeah, I really liked it. You just that, blew my fucking mind, Roman. That and Crimson Flower were the best books this week for me. Yeah, it. I'm I'm really stunned that of the three of us, I gave it the lowest score. That that blows my mind <laughs> um yeah i i'm i'm so glad that you guys dug it that's crazy um because it's polarizing right like it's almost like infographic-y enough that i was seeing like maybe maybe people wouldn't be into it anyway um god so so good all right guys listen we've got time for one or the other we <laughs> could do bits or we could talk about wandavision what do you want to do i i would love well, to talk WandaVision. about wandavision okay let's talk i about think we fucking... just talked about every comic that came out this week so. all right cool Listen, Roman always has more under that gooey duck flap. You cracked the shell of that gooey duck. Listen, there's a there's a false foot coming out of that shell any given day. It's a foot long false foot. Okay, well, listen. Let's talk a little bit about Wanda Vision issue. Episode three has come out as of this recording. We've all watched episode number three. I, Jeff Figley, have thought it's been like a year since I've gone to the movie theater and seen a Marvel cinematic universe movie. And mm-hmm. I've actually kind of appreciated the break, frankly. Yeah. Um, we were getting several a year and that was a lot for me because they're oftentimes action set pieces. And I was going to avoid this except for one night I got a text message from Roman to Django and I, and it was Roman in a state that I seldom see him. I seldom see this man that I have come to respect in a genuinely borderline manic childhood state. And he was very (laughs) excited about the first two episodes about WandaVision um, because of, well, listen, everybody, (laughs) I'll pull the text up. Ah, good. Cause I don't remember what I said. Uh, Jeff, can you play the scrolling song on your new guitar while you no i don't need to i'm already here holy crap (laughs) did you two ever watch reruns reruns of the dick van dyke show i knew wandavision was an homage to such shows but olsen is doing a great imitation of mary tyler moore and bettany's using some of dick van dyke's actual body language i love it the van dyke show is still a favorite of mine one of the best sitcoms in tv history and i responded ugh 
think I'm going to watch the first episode tonight. <laughs> and then Django said the Ottoman gag and the opening scene of the episode one is super subtle and made for Nick at night fans. And then Roman said, I don't know what Nick at night is. Um, <laughs> I only watched it old school. Um, but that's from the opening credits of the DVD show, a continuing gag on the show used to watch reruns as a kid before Nickelodeon existed and on KVOS slash MeTV in more recent years. A- anyway, at that point, I was like, all right, I have to watch both of these because I love Roman and it's not often that he will like talk like that in my life. So I was excited at that point. And so that's my intro to it. I I watched it. I liked it. But you two boys go for me. I watched it on the first day it came out and thought it was excellent. It's It's a very different thing than the Marvel movies have been. It's basically decade by decade sort of parodies of sitcoms and yeah i i it's paced super weird the episodes are non-standard lengths i think things that don't make sense they just kind of gloss over like you would in a sitcom there's there's no resolution to some of these non sequiturs yet and everything I don't know. It's, it's just such an earnest adaptation of kind of shitty early sitcoms. I think that's the level that I'm appreciating it on. Roman, are you appreciating it on more levels than just it's like self-reference to in talking to you a little bit on Tuesday, you were pulling some stuff out about its relationship to the comic, like the, you know, the Marvel universe. I wasn't getting out of it at all. At my at this point, my relationship with it is mostly like I really appreciate the novelty of seeing it reference all of these TV shows that exist in this weird liminal space for Jeff of like, I'm eight. It's too too late for me to be watching Rugrats. That's off now. And all of it has transitioned to black and white television shows that all feel dated and scary to me. And my parents are asleep and I should go Why to is bed. This horse talking. Yeah, like all of that. Like <laughs> and it and it this conjures memories of that feeling so well. I don't even know how to, it makes me feel like I need to go to bed watching it at any time. That's where it's most interesting to me. Are you enjoying it also on like a Marvel level as well, or just the sort of referential level? I am. And I, and I think it's really interesting that that's kind of your, your emotional um, resonance with the TV homages. Cause for me, I was, I was a latchkey kid. So if I, got home from school and I wasn't going to go out and I don't know, you know, vandalize things in the neighborhood or something. I would just watch TV and reruns. Um, and it was all stuff like Dick Van Dyke and I love Lucy and Brady Bunch and all that stuff. So for me, it's a, it's kind of a comforting thing actually. Cause that was the TV was my babysitter a lot of times. Um, so yeah, there's that. And there's the mall, the Marvel references. I, I got, giggly the second episode when during the credits um and i had to rewind because i because i saw like on an end table to their couch there was a, a figurine that i realized that's the wizard and in that issue of the avengers in the 70s that's who they said was wanda and quicksilver's dad the golden age character wizard and the figurine has the w and has the wings on the wizard's head and that's the first person marvel said was their dad until it was revealed no magneto's their dad until the movie said no he's not 
Hmm. And we've got little sword logos happening throughout yeah. the second and third episodes. Yep, spoilers, everyone. Like we said, we are going to be spoiling these first three episodes. So do your thing. Go, We're go on watch the verge or of some really interesting stuff. I think. I yeah. think so too. And, it, and it's and it's incorporating. I think you said at the beginning, but not only these shows, but at least the first, I guess, the both Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries is is, is from the. 80s neither one of which i remember being very good in particular but this is taking those as a jumping off point and house of m and, and launching from there well i think it's going to be house of m basically yeah it feels to me like it's basically like that episode of the twilight zone where it's like wanda can create an alter reality so severely that an organization who feels like they need to protect everyone is keeping her in some sort of like mental prison where she feels like her you know, she feels like she's living, but in reality, she's like in a tube or, or something. Like the episode of the Twilight Zone with the kid who, yeah, oh, yeah. they start vegetating in front of television. Do you yeah. think that uh, if it is House of M, does that give us uh, an entry point to the X Men in the Marvel Universe? Holy shit. Is that what you meant, Roman? I didn't think wow. about that. I didn't think about the X Men, but yeah, it could be. I mean, I know it's setting up the next movie, which is going to be Doctor Strange and the mm-hmm. Multiverse of Madness, I think. Um, but it, I'm sure it's setting up other things for other Marvel movies too. If if this is the mechanic for saying like you had said no more mutants and now there's mutants, like if if this introduces mutants into the Marvel continuity where there has not been any through legal issues so mm-hmm. far, that would be brilliant. I would yeah. love that. Yeah, I, I'd love it if they reversed it and ended up saying oh magneto is her father when you say you think it's house of m what do you mean by that well i don't remember all the details about house of m but just basically about her that was the story about how her she changed altered reality and made it fit better for something that would kind of soothe or or as a result of her trauma around her children she removed all mutants from the reality yeah, yeah, so and if, that all. Yeah, if this that all, was House of M. Sorry, sorry, Roman. Go yeah, on. and that all stemmed from her trauma about her kids, who yeah. never really existed because she unconsciously created them with help from Mephisto. Yeah, are I, we are we sure it's not the House of W for Wanda? Wanda? I hope that they. I mean, and, and that's why it's called Wanda Vision. It's her. It's her perception of the vision the i don't vision. even know if the vision's actually even in the in the context of the show really yeah well, he's that's, dead in the marvel universe that's oh, i was oh, thinking oh, that's about right. that. they have he's got his spirit gym and everything mm-hmm. but in this third episode when he does go outside and wanda is inside with the other woman that she had just given birth and a vision is outside there's a conversation happening between he and uh the political trainer from parks and recreation and the other guy (laughs) that's who that Um, guy is okay (laughs) um but um like could he exist outside of wanda's perception right like is it is this truman show vibes or is is it vision and wanda or could vision be existing outside of there if wanda is projecting him because would he only exist when she's around like what are the boundaries without her a lot yeah Yeah. so i was I was almost thinking that like he's in there with her or something, but I agree. I think he's dead, right? Yeah, maybe he had a backup. Or the stone was destroyed. Yeah. Uh, was the stone destroyed? I don't even remember. 
the stone was destroyed or, or maybe stone went into the gauntlet what's what's the actress's name the comedian that's her next door neighbor then i forget the nosy but she's um, amazing i love her she is great i wish yeah needed more of her in the third episode but i think she's agatha harkness which is wanda's witch mentor not a mutant just a straight up witch who's her mutant or who's her mentor in the comics and i think i don't know i suspect maybe she's part of the thing helping to like keep wanda monitor wanda in this reality that wanda's created i think it's great and i've seen a lot of different opinions on the internet like yeah. this is not uh popular across the board and no. i'd be curious how much of that is spoiled viewers who expect to be able to binge everything on demand and they're kind of stomping their foot and saying, I want it all right now. And how much of it is just that it's so bizarre and, and without the context or the knowledge of those early sitcoms, it doesn't translate at all. Cause like you could see people old enough to be watching this, but young enough to have never really seen a sitcom with a laugh track. Right. Hmm. Which is crazy. To me, <laughs> yeah, having grown up without a television and still being steeped in sitcoms with laugh tracks <laughs> yeah, Flintstones had a laugh track <laughs> i think that it depends sort of on on how you're coming to this i think the people who are just into the marvel cinematic universe are going to be frustrated or disappointed because this isn't that i think if you're coming at it from like a love of the characters or comics you'll be more into it because i think that it is connected to those old stories and for me, I'm coming at it from the perspective of like, it would have been a harder sell to get me to watch this if it didn't have this kind of meta history of television narrative to it. That's mm-hmm. what is grabbing me. I, I, like I said, I enjoyed the vacation. I'm going to need, need to be sort of pushed back into that pool when it, when the water is open again. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this. And it was really Roman's sort of excitement about the meta commentary on television that got me excited to watch. And that's what keeps me coming back uh, to see it. But I, you know, it's it's also doing some interesting stuff. How, how did you feel about overall about the third episode? Yeah, it's good stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah, it's it's yeah. better than I expected. Uh, two thumbs up from this guy. Yep, two yeah. thumbs up, my robot. He's his robot's full. Roman, how many thumbs up from you? Also, two synthesoid thumbs because he's not a robot. Sounds <laughs> like we've got some full bots out here. Um, <laughs> Well, hey, on that note, let's get the fuck out of here. Uh, if you've got questions for us, thoughts for us, if you've got thoughts on WandaVision, if you've got thoughts on this whole DC Future State mess that's coming out right now, uh, Marvel stuff. We didn't talk about King of Black 3. We were going to, but I already brought my oh. copy back and I forgot to talk about it. But oh, we're going dang, along yeah. anyway. The ending was awesome. Yeah. Um, it, you can get all of that to us at jeff at thecomicsplace.com and in the subject line, just put Papcast. I'll probably read it even if it doesn't have that subject line, but that'll make it easier on me. Um, did, uh, did anybody write in with an answer to last week's question? Not that I saw here. I'm not doing one then. Wow. Just redo last week's because I don't remember what it was. I do. I it was, it, was, it was confusing. It was a little bit. <laughs> it was confusing. It was about um, copyrights. And frankly, oh, yeah. I don't oh, think I that like you that should one. be. Yeah, bud. But listen, <laughs> it's listen, Django. What's your question? I hey, we'll see you all for 212 next week. I'm Jeff. I'm Roman. I'm Django, and I got a question for everybody. What? What? Uh-oh. Okay. What's up? 
let's say that trademark doesn't exist. Oh, fuck. You did the okay. one that I didn't think you should do. <laughs> and Marvel and DC are allowed to use names of characters that the other one in our reality owns. So Marvel could have a Batman or DC could have a Wolverine. Who would either company have named after a character from the other company? too many ambiguities there man it's just there does, it's, zero ambiguity. as soon as yeah. you say like the company in our world and i'm like all right again okay so what is this okay so listen yeah, you can you either answer Django's question or you can write an email to us explaining why Django's question doesn't work and we will read either one of those on the show <laughs> next week for 212 that's jeff at the you heard all of us we'll see you next week send good that night. email in good night and go fuck <laughs> I do like that.